1: Will voters be mailing it in? A generation ago, voting was an exercise conducted largely on Election Day, although there was limited absentee voting allowed. But since 2018, no reason absentee voting has been legal in Michigan, and it's seen a surge of popularity ever since the pandemic hit this state In March of last year, every election since then has seen a surge in interest in absentee voting. Nearly 3.3 million Michigan voters cast ballot absentee in last November's general election. That's way over half the state's total 5.6 million vote. And that was an all-time record. Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson helped the process along by voluntarily mailing ballot applications to all of Michigan's 7.7 million qualified voters in May. 71% of Michigan voters participated, and that's the highest percentage since the 1960 election. Furthermore, what's interesting about this sudden increase in absentee voting is it generally occurred at times that the pandemic was not at one of its peaks in terms of case counts or percentage of positive tests or numbers of hospitalization. This invites the obvious question as to whether no reason absentee voting will become a more statistically significant part of voting for all Michigan elections going forward. This will be a trend worth watching for the 2022 election. True, Michigan does not technically have what is called mail-in voting in other states. We have no reason absentee voting, but that's pretty much a distinction without a practical difference. And of all the three dozen bills to change or reform election laws introduced by legislative Republicans last week, probably the most important is one that would prevent the Secretary of State from mailing out unsolicited applications for absentee ballots, as she did last year, while using the pandemic as an excuse. Republicans claim there is nothing in the law that allows her to do that, and they want to stop it. If the legislature passes such a stop Benson bill, and Governor Whitmer vetoes it, as she almost surely will, look for a GOP-fueled initiative petition drive that the Republican-majority legislature could enact without the governor's signature. As I see it, that's the most likely outcome. Now, I want to talk a little bit about John Quinones, journalist, author, and creator and host of ABC's What Would You Do? He talked last week in Flint about his ascent from poverty in San Antonio, Texas, to becoming a TV star on ABC News. Quinones was the latest prominent speaker at Mott Community College's Ballinger Eminent Persons Lecture Series. The lecture was live-streamed on Thursday, April 1st, on YouTube. Quinones shared his challenging life journey from migrant farm worker to working over 30 years at ABC News, Prime Time and Behind the Anchor Desk at 2020. Most interesting to the people in Flint was that John Quinones was returning to Michigan. Yes, Mr. Quinones was born and brought up in San Antonio, Texas. But the first time he ever traveled outside the Lone Star State, he was 13 years old, and he came to Michigan. Why did he come? to pick cherries with his family in Northport, north of Traverse City. Then they all went down to Toledo to pick tomatoes. That may not seem like a very glamorous introduction to Michigan, but of course, it was the life of migrant farm workers at that time. And soon after, John Quinones, inspired by a challenge from his father, began his dramatic ascent from poverty to an exceptional career and a powerful presence in the news media and in person. In fact, John Quinones has emerged as one of the most inspiring keynote presenters in the world today. His moving presentations focus on his odds-defying personal journey, celebrate the life-changing power of education, champion the Latino American dream, and provide thought-provoking insights into human nature and ethical behavior. A lifetime of never taking no for an answer has propelled John Quinones to more than 30 years at ABC News and the anchor desk at 2020 and primetime. Along the way, he has broken through barriers, won the highest accolades, and has become a role model for many. Known for really connecting with his audiences and leaving them uplifted and inspired, John Quinones delivers a powerful message of believing in oneself, never giving up, and always, always doing the right thing. He is the host and creator of What Would You Do, the highly rated news magazine using a hidden camera to delve into ethical dilemmas. Doing this is he has become the face of doing the right thing to millions of fans. It's a role he has enthusiastically embraced off-camera with a popular book and keynote presentations that challenge both business and general audiences to examine the what-would-you-do moments we all face every day. This work and his many achievements were recently recognized when Mr. Quinones received honorary doctorate degrees from Davison Elkins College in West Virginia and Utah State University. The lecture series that John Quinona spoke at was named for philanthropist William S. Ballinger Sr. It began in 1955 and has drawn national and international thought leaders and influencers to Mott Community College, such as rocket scientist Werner von Braun, British Prime Minister Harold Wilson, journalist Alistair Cook and Peter Jennings, art cr- critic Stanley Kaufman, talk show host Geraldo Rivera, writers Alex Haley and William Buckley, humorist Art Buckwald, singer and civil rights activist Harry Belafonte, actor Tony Shalhoub, Polish Prime Minister Lech Walesa, businessman Damon John of Shark Tank fame, musician and author Patty Smith, mental health advocate and actor Sean Astin, former Surgeon General Dr. David Satcher, actress and activist Jennifer Lewis, and journalist and author Sonia Nazario. So John Quinones has a lot to say, And we are going to hear from him in a few minutes uh, when we hope to get him on the line after his visit during the last week to interview the president of Guatemala. We hope that we're going to be able to hear from him about the situation at the border. Why has there been such a surge recently? Why? Why? is the surge the largest in 15 years? What can be done about it? We got a lot to talk about, and we'll be back in a moment with John Quinones. Stay tuned.
0: You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill.
1: We are back, and boy, are we lucky to have on the other line with us John Quinones, whom I introduced in the previous segment, and he is, for 30 years, at ABC News, the host of Primetime, behind the anchor desk at 2020. Uh, host of the program, what would you do? And we'll talk about that. But John Quinones, welcome to the Political Insider.
2: Uh, Thank you, Bill. Good to be with you guys.
1: Well, as I understand it, uh, between the time you spoke in Flint and now, you visited Guatemala. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What went on down there? What did you do? I think you interviewed the president, didn't you?
2: That's right. Uh, it, was, it was really fascinating, and it's about an, it's a story that's so important right now. And, of course, it's immigration. A story, by the way, that I've been following most of my career. Uh, it was a story 40, 30, 40 years ago. It's still a big story today. What do you do when someone's seeking a better life in this country and willing to risk their lives getting here? Uh, there are too many children now trying to cross, thinking that the, the, the door is open, simply because President Biden has been a little easier on children immigrants than his predecessor. So, therefore, more people are coming. So we went to where they're coming from, uh, the Northern Triangle countries in Central America, El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala. Uh, But I was in Guatemala interviewing their president. Uh, His name is Alejandro Giammattei. And... uh, It was just about holding his feet to the fire. You know, why can't you keep your folks at home? And, of course, there are many reasons. The poverty, you know, there have been hurricanes down there. There's violence. There's gang violence that uh, makes people just get out of there. And um, he's meeting uh, with uh, President Kamala Harris soon. They had a conversation on the phone uh, the week before last. And they're trying to come up with solutions, uh, which include, you know, bolstering the economy, uh, providing better, you know, money to 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 provide security for folks so that there is law and order in, in Guatemala, um, and uh, coming up with legislation that'll keep people from coming, such as, you know, sending messages on the radio and on television in Guatemala that the border, that the border is not open. Uh, But more importantly, the economy. Uh, Now, many of those countries are really corrupt, as you know, Bill. So um, I I asked him point blank. I said, you know, Guatemala is one of the most corrupt countries, has been rated one of the most corrupt countries in the world. How can you assure the American government that whatever money is sent here to help the poor, to keep people from making this long, treacherous journey, will get to those people And I got to tell you, he seemed very genuine in his responses. He seems to really care. He says, I'm fighting corruption here. I've only been in office 14 months. That might have happened in previous administrations. But I am committed to making sure that people get the help they need. I don't know if that's, you know, we'll see if that's true. But I think this administration, Biden and Harris, will hold his feet to the fire and be tougher with him than they haven't been in the past. But that's what I was doing. I was there and I was interviewing folks on the street about why they would come, if they would come. Uh, Many of them don't want to come, but they're pretty desperate and need to.
1: John Quinones, uh, in other words, as much as the president might be able to do and the government of Guatemala might be able to do to stem the surge of Mm -hmm. emigres out of Guatemala, I'm hearing that it really is going to take some help from the United States itself down there, Uh, more aid, Uh, I'm not sure what else other than money uh, the United States could send down there that would help the situation, uh, stabilize the population, get the crime rate down, reduce the poverty. Uh, But the United States has got to be part of the solution, right?
2: It absolutely has to be. And and as he said, look, we want to be your front yard. We we don't want to be the backyard because we want to be your front yarding and and the wall that we want to build is the wall of prosperity physical walls the president said the president of Guatemala said uh, don't work uh, they they're not enough to keep people from from coming um, if the wall is is built high enough or too too high then people will find a well to a way to dig under it what will stop this uh, flow of you know immigration is, are, you know, jobs and, and a wall of, as he called it, prosperity. Uh, it will take a little while, but, you know, that is the only way to do it. Uh, and, and people want, to, they just need jobs. I mean, they really don't want to be separated from their families. Mothers and fathers don't want to send their children, they do it out of desperation.
1: John Quinones, is Guatemala more of a problem than, let's say, El Salvador, Nicaragua, or the other countries down there? I mean, you. Went down to Guatemala, you interviewed the president. Mm-hmm. Now, you could have gone to the other countries as well. I mean, is Guatemala the biggest problem of them all?
2: No, not at all. Uh, it's the lesser, really. Uh, Honduras is sending more immigrants, and more migrants across Guatemala to Mexico, to the U.S. They are desperately poor. Um, you know, Guatemala is not doing great, but relatively speaking, it's uh, it's doing better than El Salvador or Honduras. A lot of these folks are coming from Honduras, you know, again, out of desperation after those hurricanes, and the gang violence in El Salvador is particularly rough, uh, and, and there is indeed even more corruption in those countries. Uh, so, you know, the president of Guatemala was telling me that he, he, he's, he's determined to stop the flow from those countries through his country. There's some dramatic videotape that, that was shot a couple of months ago of the Guatemalan military troops. Uh, stopping and confronting 7,000 Honduran immigrants that were trying to get across uh, Guatemala into Mexico. It got pretty brutal. He, the president, claims that it was the migrants who started throwing rocks and attacking the police. Whoever's fault it was, it was pretty ugly. But it's a sign that that he is determined to to stop folks from coming uh, south of his borders to the U.S. So he says he's doing his part.
1: Well, it sounds like Guatemala is kind of a choke point or a potential choke point for migrants from even farther south like the Honduras so I mean Uh whatever help the United States might give Guatemala they got to give it to you know El Salvador Honduras and the other countries down there too is the United States looking at that as well
2: yes uh Vice President Harris has been talking to the leaders of all those countries and in fact I understand she's planning a trip down there in person um President Biden has his hands full right now with COVID and so many other matters. But uh, he, the point person on all this has been Vice President uh, Harris. And, uh, and of course, then there's uh, you know, the Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, Mallorca, who has traveled to El Paso yesterday and then to the Rio Grande Valley in Texas uh Last night, to get a firmer grasp of what's going on there, I think he's meeting with everyone from border patrol agents to sheriff's departments to volunteer agencies helping those people, the refugees, all in an effort to get a better handle on on the problem. Uh, So, yes, interestingly enough, the president of Guatemala does not want to be lumped in with the other two uh, countries. He says, "I, I want to deal directly with Mexico and the U.S., um, I think he's worried that there is too much corruption in El Salvador and Honduras and, and doesn't want to be associated with them. I, it surprised me to hear him say that. I thought they were collaborating as, as, the, as the Northern Triangle, the, these three countries who many of these refugees are coming from. But he, um, he wants to deal directly with the U.S. And it's a big country, and it is. You're right. It's a great way of putting it. a chokehold of the uh, yeah. choke, choke point.
1: Well, we've got to take a short break here, but we're going to be back in just a minute with John Quinones, and he's going to tell us some more about his smash hit, What Would You Do? Tell a Magazine. Stay tuned.
0: You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill.
1: We have returned with John Quinones of ABC News and also primetime behind the anchor desk at 2020 and the host of What Would You Do? the great uh, magazine that he has now tell us John Quinones how did you come up with this idea how did it develop how long has it been going and uh, what are some of your experiences with that smash hit program
2: well thank you Bill yeah it's been about 14 years we started 14 years ago and it was just a novel idea we had of how to tell stories in a different way using hidden cameras. I read in the New York Times this columnist, uh, he wrote a column called The Ethicist, and he talked about how some people, when they're at the playground, they'll see babysitters or nannies. They're supposed to be taking care of children, but they're ignoring those kids because they're on their phones or they're listening to music. They got their their earpods on, their headsets on, and FaceTiming people. Meanwhile, the child is, you know, running in danger, how would you tell the parents that the nanny's doing a terrible job? And we said, well, I think we can do that better. We can actually put hidden cameras in the park, and we'll have an actor play the part of the nanny and a little child play the part of the child that they're supposed to be taking care of, and we'll see how other people react. And that was the very first one we did, and ABC liked it. The responses were really dramatic. And they and then they said, "Can you do others?" And I said, "Of course." There are many issues that we could deal with: racism, bullying, discrimination, spousal abuse, you know, LGBTQ issues. Uh, and uh, we took off from there. It's been wonderful. And the, the, the point is very simple: when you witness any kind of injustice, uh, whether it be bullying or discrimination or racism or somebody steals something. Um, Do you step in or do you step away? And we have the hidden cameras documenting all this. No one knows these folks are actors causing this scene. And I'm hiding in the back. And then I come out at the appropriate moment, and I ask people, "Why did you step in? Or, more importantly, why didn't you? You saw this; you could have helped. Why didn't you do anything?" And in the end, it's really the true test of character, isn't isn't it? It's uh, it's not character is, is, true character is not what we do when everyone's watching. That's that's easy. It's what we do when no one, when we don't think anyone is watching. And it just took off from there. And here we are, 14 years later. I, I thought I'd run out of ideas. <laughs> But we've done a thousand scenarios and ABC wants us back next season. Maybe we can start filming in the fall. This COVID thing has thrown a wrench into everything on our show, too, like the rest of the world, Uh, because we can't go into restaurants, you know, without we don't we want to see people's reactions and they can't we can't see that with masks on. So. we're we're dealing with. We're trying to figure out when we might be able to get out there and shoot again for the next season.
1: Well, John Quinones, uh, it sounds like you really probe into the phenomenon known as, quote, the innocent bystander. I mean, somebody who isn't really causing the dilemma that needs to be resolved, but Mm -hmm. has the chance to make a difference. And is he or she going to try to do that, or are they going to bail out and say, I don't want any part of this? I mean, that really is Kind of the dramatic part of it, isn't it?
2: We're a fly on the wall, and you can see <laughs> the wheels turning and people's <laughs> heads and faces. They're trying to figure out, do I get in? What do I do? And, you know, and we don't advocate people getting physically involved. Of course not, because it can't be dangerous. And because of that, we have a security person in plain clothes sitting right there in the middle of the action so that no one throws a punch or, you know, it gets doesn't get too wild before. I, I usually break the scene within seconds. I'm just behind a wall somewhere. But if I can't get there fast enough, we have a security guy who will stand up and say, no, 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 it's just a TV show. <laughs> Relax. But I love the way, you know, you can see people trying to decide what to do. Usually women, women are better than we as guys are at getting involved. Maybe it's the maternal instinct. Maybe it's that they're not afraid. Because guys, we start thinking, well, it might get physical. You know, the guy might take a punch if I get stepped in. So time and again, we're at a restaurant. And we'll have a couple there sitting. We're watching them on hidden camera. And the woman wants to get involved, especially if a child uh, is in any kind of jeopardy. And the man is holding her back, saying, no, honey, don't don't, don't step in. And the wife is, I'm going to get in there. <laughs> uh, it's really impressive. And uh, I just love the way people react. And what's fascinating is that and not only do people do the right thing, because people ask me all the time. You've got your finger on the pulse of um, morality these days. What do you think? Are we better off than we used to be, or are people genuinely better or worse or good or bad? In my sense, I mean, I'm a positive guy. I always say to I see the glasses half full. And, and the fact is, in every one of our scenarios, people do, there's a great person who steps in at the end of the day and does something beautiful and just warms your heart and it restores your faith in humanity.
0: Wow.
1: Well, what else have you been doing in between segments of uh, what would you do? I mean, you're at ABC News. You do a whole bunch of stuff and have done a bunch of whole stuff over the years.
2: Well, I haven't been able to shoot what would you do. You're right, for a year and a half. I mean, it's still running on, on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel, so our thousand scenarios, if anyone wants to see them, just log into what would you do on YouTube and, or type in my name, and you'll see you can watch. You can have a marathon of watching all these scenarios. Uh, and as I said, there's 7,000 of them. But at, at heart, I'm a reporter. I'm a storyteller. This is what I always wanted to do growing up in the barrios of San Antonio. Picking cherries there in Michigan, by the way, in Northport, Michigan, when I was 13. We were migrant farm workers. But I've always wanted to tell stories. And ironically, I did better at English class, even though I didn't speak English <laughs> till I went to the first grade, than in other class. I guess languages came easier to me. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a storyteller, so I still work for 2020. I, I did a story on... On uh, Selena, the uh, the, the Mexican American singer in Texas, who was so brutally murdered 25 years ago, right. the anniversary of her her death and her beautiful music. I interviewed her family, uh, and and they have a TV series now on Netflix. I also did a story, a really in depth two hour documentary on um, uh, Vanessa Guillen, the soldier who was murdered at Fort Hood, the military base here in Texas. Um, and then all out of the woodwork came all these, Charges of of, of suicide and murder at that military base and accusations of sexual abuse of women in the military. And it became a much bigger story. So I, I did that also. And I continue to do these murder mysteries on ABC in 2020, which are on the own channel, TLC, and the Discovery channel. So I'm pretty busy with all of that stuff. I miss doing What Would You Do, but they're keeping me busy with this stuff. And then last night, we just this hour on immigration started streaming and i didn't do it by myself we had a, several other abc correspondents contribute to the to the story uh, all you have to do if you want to watch it is just download the abc news app it's abcnews.go.com and you'll see uh, uh, the series that the hour the documentary called hope and Des- desperation emergency at the border and i anchor it out of dallas and Uh, So I've been busy with all of that, Bill. (laughs) Wow.
1: Uh, Well, look, we're running out of time, but uh, after you... Picked up English. Uh, what got you into television uh, at that point in your life when you were very young?
2: I was 18 years old. I used to listen to the radio all the time. I loved these radio announcers and the music. And then I knew that there were stories in my community that were not being told, and I just wanted to be. I used to watch Geraldo Rivera, and Peter Jennings, and Tom Brokaw on television. And um, when I went to college, thanks to a government program called Upward Bound, by the way, because my dad was a janitor, my mom. Used to clean houses. We had no money. I was the first one to go to college. And with loans and work study and all that, I got into college. And uh, I was a drugstore delivery man in San Antonio at night after my classes. And the owner of the drugstore found out that I was interested in radio. And he introduced me. He said, John, they're hiring interns at this country music station in San Antonio. I wasn't a big country music fan, but it was an opportunity to get an internship. Uh, at this country music station, my first job bill uh, for $2 an hour was feeding the horses that the disc jockeys <laughs> used in parades <laughs> and, mil- and and public appearances and rodeos. Wow. And I would feed them in the back corral, and then at night, I would sneak into the studio and record my voice over and over again, play it back. The only problem was that at that hour of the night, all the professionals who could criticize my work... Uh, we're gone. It was midnight. The <laughs> only one who could criticize my work was the janitor at the station. So I'd drag him into the studio, and I'd say, and his name was Pablo Gonzalez. Pablo's English was worse than my father's. But I would drag him in and I'd say, Pablo, what do you think? How does it sound? And he goes, oh, it sounds pretty good. Well,
1: hey, listen, you you got to start somewhere, right? And, and uh, you took off from there. Listen, John Quinones, we could go on for hours, but thank you so okay. much for being our guest.
2: What a pleasure, Bill. You call me anytime. We'll do it again.
1: Thanks a lot, John Quinones, host of What Would You Do? Stay tuned. We'll be back.
0: This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill.
1: We are back, and I'm going to, get into a little Q&A question and answer. And the first question is, when it comes to issues, Governor Gretchen Whitmer is known for her record on COVID-19 and her initial promise to fix the damn roads. Will she need to pivot to some other issues in order to get reelected? And my answer is no. She'll be able to cruise to reelection. With little difficulty, as long as the Republicans do not have a ticket to ride, meaning a quality candidate to run against her, and right now they don't. It's often better to be lucky than good. And Whitmer will be bailed out on Fix the Damn Roads by the $10.2 billion cascade of dollars pouring into Michigan from Joe Biden and the Democratic Congress, at least some of which can be spent on infrastructure repairs. As for coronavirus, Whitmer has made a ton of bitter enemies with the way she's handled it. But polls show Democrats are still solidly behind her and a substantial number of independents have cut her enormous slack because they sympathize with the bad hand she had along with other governors that they were dealt having to deal with the pandemic. They feel she's been focused and energetic in her response to the virus, even though she's made mistakes and her strategy has been flawed. Second question, will President Joe Biden's $1.9 trillion COVID-19 rescue plan be an automatic 2022 political winner for Democrats? My answer is... Not automatic, but it will help unless the economy unexpectedly craters, which nobody is predicting. Few care anymore about debt after Donald Trump and the Republican abandoned fiscal integrity, which was historically part of the GOP brand. The Republicans are trying to reclaim the idea of balanced budgets now, but I think it's too late. Nobody believes them. Here's the third question. State Representative Steve Cara, a Republican of Three Rivers, has announced that he's running for Congress, and his likely Republican primary opponent would be U.S. Representative, <laughs> a Republican of St. Joseph. Upton has prevailed over challenges from the political right in primaries more than once in the past. How worried should he be about Kara? My answer is, all this speculation about the 2022 election is largely premature and even irrelevant, especially with regards to Congress, because we'll be losing a seat, dropping from 14 in the U.S. House to 13. That and the fact that for the first time in history, we have an independent redistricting commission whose final work product nobody can predict. What will Upton's 6th congressional district even look like? Nobody knows. That said, under the right circumstances, Kara has shown by his campaign for the state house last year that he could turn into a genuine threat to Upton in a Republican primary. Lastly, Attorney General Dana Nessel made a point of describing Holland restaurant owner Mariana Pavlos Hackney as having committed a, quote, dangerous act, unquote, in reference to Hackney flaunting anti-COVID regulations by not requiring mask wearing and social distancing in her restaurant. Hackney, who is and at least was in jail after refusing to pay a fine, has become a cause celebre among Michigan Republicans. Did Nestle needlessly borrow trouble by weighing in on this controversy? My answer to that is this one is vintage Nestle, who embarrassingly lost a court and public relations battle to Owasso barber Carl Mankey a year ago when she and Gretchen Whitmer ganged up on him. The fate of the Holland restaurateur is not good optics for Nessel, particularly with her refusal to take seriously Macomb County Prosecutor Pete Lucido's efforts to uncover COVID-19 nursing home atrocities in his bailiwick. But the Republicans cannot count on this ugly controversy costing Nessel much disfavor for very long because most of the news media will cover for the attorney general, as they do for Whitmer, until she weathers the storm. Now, continuing with Nestle, she told lawmakers who wanted her to look into whether or not Governor Whitmer's nursing home COVID-19 policy had needlessly caused deaths Nessel said she consulted the New York Attorney General, who is investigating New York Governor Andrew Cuomo's nursing home and data policies, before declining a similar review of nursing home practices in Michigan. Nessel said that Macomb County Prosecutor Pete Lucido's request for complaints about Governor Whitmer's nursing home policies is a, quote, recipe for misconduct, unquote, that smacks of partisanship. Nessel said, and I'm quoting here, I do take umbrage to some extent with an effort to ask people to bring evidence forward that you do not know exists, unquote. Now, New York's case differed in terms of probable cause because a, quote, whistleblower, unquote, had come forward regarding data manipulation in New York. That's what Nestle said during a hearing before the House Appropriations Subcommittee on General Government a week ago. Quote, we had no evidence of any kind that our governor in Michigan or anyone from her office had misrepresented the numbers that were provided by the Department of Justice, unquote. And Nessel continued, we had no indication that there was a crime of any sort, which was absolutely not the case in New York, she said. Cuomo has taken fire for allegedly withholding data on nursing home resident deaths at hospitals, keeping the actual number of nursing home deaths artificially low by counting only those deaths that occurred at nursing homes themselves. Cuomo's top aide, Melissa DeRosa, told New York Democratic lawmakers the release of that data was delayed because officials were concerned the data would be used against us, quote unquote, by former President Donald Trump's Department of Justice. Nestle said New York Attorney General Letitia James told her she would not have performed an investigation. If the evidence in New York was similar to what was available in Michigan, there should not be an investigation that is based on whether or not an emergency set of circumstances is the best possible set of policies being utilized. That's what Nestle said so last week, Lucido, who is a Republican former state senator called for the county medical examiner's office to create a committee for reviewing nursing home deaths related to COVID-19, and he announced an online form for families to file with law enforcement to investigate fatalities. Nessel criticized Lucido's action, arguing that if he had any sort of probable cause, he would be able to obtain a search warrant to review nursing home documents without submissions from families. And Nestle said, and I'm quoting again here, the inference there is, I want to prosecute someone. Help me do that, unquote, without knowing whether a crime was committed in the first place, unquote, she said. And I quote again, it makes that investigation seem very, very partisan, unquote. Lucido answered on The day following, the review that he was requesting was not partisan because he had families on both sides of the aisle contacting him about the policy in the Senate when he was a member and in his new role as prosecutor. Lucido said, quote, we are trying to get information to give closure and healing to the families who couldn't say goodbye to their loved ones and now can't get an answer. If the attorney general chooses not to investigate, that is up to her discretion. Quote, but being the top law enforcement official in the state, why would you leave it to a patchwork of 83 counties to do this when you have the resources and tools ready to go, unquote, said Lucido. So that is the latest on the Macomb County COVID-19 nursing home issue, but there's going to be more to come. We'll be back to talk about it next week and in the weeks beyond. Stay tuned in
0: the future.